morning. Um, like we said, we're just prayerful that your Thanksgiving was a blessing and that you were able to fellowship with the people that that you love the most. Um, nevertheless, we are excited again to return to the house of the Lord as we will share um, from a little bit of a different table today. Now, we are continuing our little walk through the book of Genesis um, as we receive answers from Genesis about our origins. Now, last week we left off talking about how God created with his word and how the very spoken word of God, but not chance, has held the universe together throughout the annals of time. We also discuss how Jesus is the manifestation of the word of God by which everything is now held together. And today we will dig deeper in order to see just how God worked in creation. And we will even see the effects of God's creation today. And when I was thinking of a sermon title, I couldn't think of anything more appropriate than sizing God up, sizing God up. I think one of the important things that we should be able to do as Christians is to be able to paint an adequate view of who God is, um, the breadth of him, the height of him, the length of him, um, everything that he is, his very nature. We have to have a great understanding of just how big God really is. One of the big mistakes that many of us um, make in trying to understand is trying to make it make sense to us. One of the big mistakes that we make in trying to understand who God is is that we try to make it make sense to us. Now, like I said last week, if you're trying to rationalize it, you literally can't get beyond the first verse. In the beginning, God. If you're trying to make sense of that in your intellectual reasoning, then give it up because you will not be able to make sense of the very first word of the book. But we are instructed that we understand by faith. And the reason we understand by faith is because faith is not a head thing. Faith is a heart thing. Faith is always a heart thing. Because there are many times when what you see with your eyes or what you believe in your mind cannot line itself up with what you know in your heart. And so... When we understand all of this by faith, I don't want you to get caught up in trying to do mental aerobic, aerobics in your mind, trying to understand who God is. It is merely a faith issue. It is a heart matter. And so as we continue today, there are many, many various opinions about what a day actually was um, or how much time actually passed. But we believe. And this should be the, the belief of everybody in this room. We believe the complete creation account as the Bible explicitly puts it to us. We do not add anything and we do not take anything away. Rather, we accept it as a fact of faith. And that brings us to our text today. Genesis chapter 1, verse 5. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and 
separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called seas and God saw it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed. Each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants, yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which, which is their seed. Each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning. The third day. So we see here the first through the third day. And there are several things that we have to be able to filter through here. And so my job as the preacher is to make this as clear and cogent as I possibly can so that we all understand exactly what's happening. And so in verse 5, we pick up what we we left off last week. Remember, the earth was dark. It was formless. It was void. It was empty. That was until God spoke. And when God spoke, he said, let there be light. And when God said, let there be light, when he spoke, he brought what was in chaos. He brought it into order. And he, the light lit up the world and brought order to what was a chaotic mess. Now, I do want you to notice that God doesn't speak in order to create darkness. Darkness was present when there was no light, but he spoke to create light, which means darkness is merely an absence of light. When he spoke light, what did the light do? The light drove away the darkness. And so that means that darkness cannot exist where light exists. Darkness was there already. Now, this should serve as another example to us that darkness only exists when light is absent. And then as we move a little further, we will see that God gives names to both the light and the darkness. He calls the light day and he calls the darkness night. Now, when God called light and darkness by his assigned names, he was setting in motion the pattern by which man would then name the creatures of the of the world, by which man would have dominion over portions of creation. With all this, the end of the scripture is where we want to draw our first point for today. And our first point is a day was a day. A day was a day. Now. I realize this may not mean much to many of you, but there are many, many arguments from people who even define themselves as either Christian evolutionists or theistic evolutionists. And what they say is they say, well, when God spoke of a day, this wasn't actually a day. This was more of an age of time. But we know that this can't be the case because the very word that was used to describe a day literally means from sunrise until sundown. 
So it's referring to a 24-hour day. In fact, that word literally means the hot hours. So this couldn't have been merely an age of time that passed, but that means that there was a 24-hour period that happened. Now, that doesn't seem very remarkable to you, but you should know one thing. God has had three definable days, yet there is no sun and there is no moon in place. That shows us that the moon and the sun can't be what holds time together. It must, in fact, be God. Because before the sun existed, there was light. See, God is so remarkable that he stands outside of the construction of time. And he's able to have a 24-hour day without any of the things that we need in order to have a day. See, God has done all that he has done by stepping outside and beyond his natural laws. Now, what do we call natural laws now? We call natural laws science. But these are God's natural laws. God created gravity. God created space. God created everything that governs this world. And he alone is able to step outside of those laws. See, when people use science or God's natural laws apart from him in the futility of their minds, the Bible says that their hearts are darkened. But not only that, they look at the data and say, well, according to the data, God couldn't have done this. Therefore, God must not exist. But they fail to realize that God himself is not at mercy of those natural laws. In fact, God is not at the mercy of anyone. He is not at the mercy of science. He is not at the mercy of natural laws. He is not at the mercy of reason. God answers to one somebody. And the Bible says he answers according to the counsel of his own will. Which means God doesn't need my help. God doesn't need your help. God doesn't need the stars. He doesn't need the sun, the moon, anything to validate the fact that he exists All those things are merely at the mercy of God, but God is not at their mercy. And so when the sun is able to rise and set, and the same with the moon, that doesn't happen because they will themselves to do it. It happens because God alone created it to happen that way. Which means it isn't science that defines what's happening. So, we will see later on why God gave us those things, but they are not for him. The sun and the moon is not for God. Now, when it says the first day, this is the very first day of time by which we have now been guided since creation. This day has been marked by unexplainable creation and order. God, in the first day, has established our order of time to this day. 
Remember last week we read that the universe is held together by the word of his power. Within the universe, God has held all of time together just by his word. That means time is not relative, people. Time is absolute. I don't care what Albert Einstein said, time is not relative. Time is absolute. There is a definable beginning and there will come a definable end according to the word of God. Now you may think, what does this all have to do with me? In fact, if anything, I've probably done a good job of painting a picture of how big God is. But one thing you will always notice is that the bigger we see God, the smaller we see ourselves. Now, if you think I've already made him too big or too powerful or too reverential, I'm not done. I want you to marvel at God today. I want you to be stunned by his glory. I want, you, I want his power to take your breath away. And I want you to be brought to your knees by his might. I want us to have a full grasp of the magnitude of who God is. And so, to do that, let's go to Psalms 104. Starting with verse 1. O oh Lord, my God, you are very great. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. O oh Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rises on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers wind. His ministers of flame and fire. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took flight. The mountains rose and the valleys sank down to the place that you were appointed for them. You set a boundary. They may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give, every, they give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Besides them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, the stork has her heart. Home in the fir trees. The high mountains 
are for the wild goats. The rocks are refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the bees of the forest creep about. The, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until evening. Oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable. Living things, both small and great, there go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them food in their due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. Now, when I say this, I mean it. Oh, my God. What kind of God is this? That is our God. Full of splendor, full of majesty, mighty are the works of his hand, strong is the word of his mouth. He is so big that he stretched out the heavens as if they were a tent. When the flood waters cover the earth, they left just by God speaking. He then said that he gave the seas their limits. He gave boundaries to the mountains. He fed the animals. He has provided shelter. And he is satisfied when we are satisfied in him. I feel like the disciples, when they said of Jesus, what matter of man is this? Listen, we cannot conceive him. We cannot perceive him. We cannot grip him. We cannot grasp him. We cannot grope him. This is not the God we created, but he is to be loved, feared, and revered. He is the one who is created, and seeing him in this way, of course, we would not take him in vain. Now, again, I know what you're thinking. You just made him so far off. He is too big, too powerful, and I just cannot fathom how he even could be concerned about me. Little old me. Well, if that's the case, then you're in good company. In Psalms 8, David is having the same problem that your problem had. Because he looks up to the heavens and he says, wait a minute. God made the heavens, the universe, with his fingers. And then he looks at himself and he says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him. We stand in absolute awe of the work of God. See, it all makes sense to me now why people who don't believe in the true God of the Bible are so self-absorbed. 
Why? Because they have not seen anything big enough or worthy enough in themselves to realize that I am just a grain of sand in the hands of God. Yet, he is mindful of me. See, he cares for us. In short, God is powerful enough to create the universe with his fingertips, but delicate enough to put us in the palm of his hand and not crush us. That is the God of the universe who holds us in his hand and time in his hand as well. Understanding that God is the supreme creator of all we see properly puts our lives and our, and our relationship with him with the necessary perspective. Let's look at Luke chapter 12, verse 24. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, nor, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies. Look at how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So what God is telling us is, yes, he is absolutely big enough to create time, create the universe, create the heavens, create all that we see. But the same God who did that also has arrayed the lilies. He has provided food and shelter for the birds. How much more you who have been made in the image of God does he care about you? Listen, yeah, we're sizing God up today, but you must understand, he is not too big for us. He cares for us. Now, that brings us to our second point today. We must see in the scripture. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the waters, the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And so that brings us to point number two today. And this point is, you've probably missed this. You've probably missed this. For years, as I studied Genesis, I missed it. And it wasn't until a few years ago 
that I was reading and studying that I was able to catch this. And I will try to explain it the best way that I can, but remember, I'm using the same Bible that y'all are using. Now, it says here, let there be an expanse. And I think the King James says a firmament. Both of those terms are actually right. They're true. But they are equally difficult for us because we don't say firmament. We don't use the word expanse typically. And so essentially this word just describes the literal atmospheric sky that we look up and see. And so when the Bible says heavens, it is not just making a reference to the place that God resides, but it's making reference to three layers. One is the immediate sky that we look up and see. That's the first heaven. The second would be space, the atmospheric heavens that we look up and see. And the third being the place that God resides. And so we know this because if you read, Paul says, speaking of himself, I know a man that was caught up into the third heaven. Now, when he makes a reference, he's making a reference to the place beyond the sky, a place beyond the space, and into the place where God resides. So, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. Now, wait a minute. See, if you're paying attention, he said, I'm creating the sky. We have the sky. And let it separate the waters from the waters. Now, we know that one of those waters is the waters here on earth that we see. Because it says he divided the earth and that formed the seas. But he said there's water beneath. But there's also water above. Now, we have a problem because when I look up at the sky, there is no water there. Certainly, if an atheist knows of this verse, they are ready to discredit the creation account because, again, we can see the waters that were created beneath the sky, but there are no visible waters above the sky. So, let me just make sure you understand that you are not misreading this. You are not misunderstanding this. I am not misinterpreting this. There were two sets of waters. The water that was above the expanse and the water that was below the expanse. And so we can't just gloss over this and say, eh, I don't really understand it, let's keep going. We need to get this right. And I want you to get it right because there are going to be people who approach you about noticeable errors in the Bible and they're going to be wrong. Now, there are huge ramifications if we get this right. And so we need to. Some commentators have argued, and they could be right, that the canopy of water that existed between the sky and the earth served as a natural greenhouse. And the reason they make that argument is because you will notice after the flood, people don't live nearly as long as they did before. And because of this water, what it did is it protected the people from the harsh, abu harsh abuses of the sun. Now, 
You say, but there was vegetation. But the Bible tells us how that vegetation came to be. It said it yielded of itself. Not only that, the Bible tells us that because of this hovering water, there was a mist. There was no rain. Now, there being no rain is a very interesting point because we're going to see later on when it rains and when Noah is telling everybody it's going to rain, it doesn't make sense because they had never seen rain before. Perhaps that canopy of water that existed above the sky opened up. And for 40 days and for 40 nights, it poured out the rain that was being held together. Now, there is obvious evidence that there was, in fact, a global flood. And when there was a global flood, when all those waters returned to their places, that is how the mountains were etched into the ground. How the valleys were created. And when God commanded, as David told us in the book of Psalms, at your rebuke, the waters fled. When God told the waters to move, boy, did they move. And when they moved, they rushed back into their place, leaving us with the footprint of God that he is, in fact, the supreme creator of everything that we see. And so, when we see people are able to live for 900 plus years, it is because quite possibly that canopy of water was protecting them from the flood, from the, the sky. Now, let's go to Genesis chapter 1, again, verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. To separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give a lot to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw it was good and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And so that brings us to our third and final point today. God gives us signs. God gives us signs. We see that three days have passed and God had not yet had yet created the sun, the moon or the stars. God is the intelligent creator. And here he created in order to give us signs. See, the sun, the moon, the stars, they are all here to assist man in understanding the passing of the time, the days, the seasons and the years. Listen, we know that one of those signs is in fact weather. God in his goodness has given us these things so that we are not clueless about what he's doing. See, even before meteorologists and data and computers, God had already given man what is necessary for them to know the things they need to know. 
How do we know this? Because Jesus told us that. In Matthew 16, verse 1, and the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, the reason Jesus responds the way that he responds is because he knows that God has given us every sign we need to know everything about him. And so he answered them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the sign of the times. The skies are indeed a sign of our weather and seasons, and even then, it is used to determine what's happening. The other sign that we get is that all of these scream to us that God created everything. See, these are those eternal attributes of God that he has given us to be reminded of him as the creator, to know him and to see him. See, the audacity of man will look up to the sky to interpret the weather, but will fail to see that God alone is responsible for it. We as children would marvel at the brightness of the sun. I don't know if y'all were like me, every now and again I would just stare up at the sun just to see how long I could stare at it. Long enough where it wouldn't damage my eyes, obviously. So, the brightness of the sun is so overwhelming to our eyes, yet we can behold it. The light is blinding, yet we can look into it. The heat of it is scorching, yet we can withstand it. Moses, however, merely saw the backside of God and nearly lost his life. Paul beheld the glory of the Son of God and was blind for three days. We can't even stare at the sun and we fail to realize that the sun is merely a dim reflection of the glory of God. It is the dimmest form of the brightness of the glory of God. That is why in the beginning there was no light, but he was not without light. He was not in darkness because the glory of him shines all throughout. How do we know that? Because when Isaiah talks about it, he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his glory filled the temple, but there was no sun there. The glory of God completely overwhelms us. And when he looks up at the glory of God, he doesn't feel himself to be any bigger. He feels himself to be smaller. And he says, behold, I am a man of unclean lips. The glory of God can be seen in the dimmest form when we look up at the sun, when we look up at the stars, when we look up at the moon. But there will come a day when we will behold his glory face to face and it will bring us to our knees. 
how dare we marvel at what God has created more than we marvel at God the creator. So, even with all that, not only does the sun provide for us signs of weather, signs of season, signs of God's glory, but there are also the evidence for us of his coming divine judgment. Let's look at what Joel tells us. Joel chapter 2 verse 30. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Matthew 24, 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun was darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great glory and power. God has masterfully given us these things so that we can know the seasons, so that we can know the weather, so that we can know his glory, but so we can also know his coming judgment. Ultimately, the things that God used to usher in the age of this world will be the exact thing that he uses to usher out the end as well. God is indeed our masterful designer and architect of the world. Everything God has done in creation was done so in a way that it glorified him. Everything testifies of his majesty, his power, and his nature. As I was working on this sermon, I was finishing it rather, we set up in the mountains of Tennessee. And while I sat there, I started to look around at those mountains. And I looked at the mountains, and then I looked up at the sky. And I couldn't help but wonder, as I wonder, what kind of God is this? He created the mountains. He created the heavens. He created the seas. He created the sun. He created space. But none of those things did he make in his own image. He did all those things. And the Bible tells us that the sky testifies of him. That the son testifies of him. Yet we, we are created in his image. Why is God mindful of us? Because he has created us in his image. Listen, those birds, they don't sow and reap. Yet God takes care of them. Those mountains can't speak of the glory of God. But here we are to show the world 
the glory of God, how are we testifying? When the scripture tells us that if we don't honor him, the rocks will cry out. He's telling us that if we don't glorify God, everything that he has created is already glorifying him. And if you are living your life in such a way that it does not glorify God, you better get on that train. Because if you don't, God doesn't need your glory. Because the world is screaming of him. Last few things I want you to see is that it grieves my heart when people can say so callously, there is no God. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. How miserable our lives must be if we see that everything that exists is merely an accident. But I want you to see one more thing. When God separated the light from the dark, it was emblematic of everything that was to come. In John 1 and 4, in him was life, and the light, and it the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not that light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone coming into the world. When Jesus came in the fullness of the deity of God, he came as that light. John was merely the testimony of that light, but he wasn't the light. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. When God separated the darkness and the light, he gave Jesus Christ preeminence over the darkness and because of him the light overcomes the darkness so in what seems like nominal unimportant verses God was foreshadowing for us that the true light was coming and that light has no fellowship with the darkness God even in that verse was giving us a divine hope that he is the eternal and divine, all-wise, all-knowing creator. And we marvel at him today. Let's pray.